So Mark chapter uh, 10, Mark's pretty interesting because some of the stuff is so abbreviated and some of it is, is even longer uh, in the book of Mark. And I love Mark's account, um, which some say is Peter's gospel, because we think about Palm Sunday, we, we, we sanitize so many of these stories. We really do. When you're a kid in Sunday school, like I was in the 80s, like everything just seemed perfect. Like, oh, Palm Sunday, everybody was wonderful and everyone got along and they all had little suits on. Then they grabbed palm trees and they threw them down and Jesus walked on the proverbial red carpet, though it'd be green. Um, and everything was great. Um, but I'm here to tell you there was a lot of drama. And so that's why the sermon is called Palm Sunday Drama. Um, I love it. I love it. Because it's like, it, it's so human. And I want to point out a few of the things that happen uh, on the way to this, quote, triumphal entry, if you will. Um, but we're going to see the human elements uh, rear their head, especially with the, the gospels, or excuse me, the, uh, the disciples who wrote the gospels. Not exactly drama-free. But once again, American church is often sanitized. It's often, you know, less than two hours people see each other. And so there's a lot we can kind of pause. We're super angry in the parking lot. Somebody cut us off or whatever. And we pause and we go say everything's great. And then we go home and then we deal with our issues. And we sometimes deal with them alone. So I want to show you guys a few uh, things on the way up to, we're going we're gonna to rapid fire, like I said, because I'm way behind today. I've probably never started in this entire church at 43 after. But um, verse 32 of Mark chapter 10 says, Now they were on the road going up to Jerusalem, and Jesus was going before them, and they were amazed. Now that's an awesome thing to be amazed about this whole, everything that's happening. But... As they followed, they were afraid. Why? Because they realized what was happening. They finally realized, you know, he's talked about dying a couple of times. And these are the, these are the accounts that we hear of. John said, if I tried to contain everything Jesus did in three years of ministry, the books of the world couldn't contain them. And so we, we know that this is the third time he said this, but it's likely not the third time he said it to them. It's just the third time we're reading about it in a super short 16-chapter gospel, a, very, a book you could read in less than an hour. They were afraid. Then he took the 12 aside again and began to tell them the things that would happen to him. Behold, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be betrayed, not might be, will be betrayed to the chief priests, to the scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him to the Gentiles, and they will mock him, scourge him, spit on him, kill him, and the third day he will rise again. So the first element is fear. Fear is a popular emotion. There's movies about it. There's shows about it. There's, there's a ton of information on what makes somebody go into what we would call like fight or flight or freeze or fear. When you get pressed, when you get pressurized, if you will, a lot of people move into fear. A lot of people move into anxiety. That's another translation, if you will. They, they were anxious. This is the third time that we read about it. But once again, I think that Jesus had likely told them more than that. And I think they probably had, when Jesus was off praying and doing his morning uh, walks into the mountains, I think they probably talked about it more than the, the times that we're reading about it. But he was not giving them good news. 
in their opinion. This was not the first time these guys had come to Jerusalem for Passover, and but it would be the last the way this was, these 13. And there was other people hanging around, other groupies, if you will, that were hanging out, that were on the way. There's 32, um, excuse me, um, the first element in the lives in verse 32 is this pressure or this fear or this anxiety. And fear is a basic but more oftentimes primal emotion. It's super easy. You have a little animal that's caged. You have a little puppy that's in a cage, and it's terrified. And if you stick your hand in there, you're going to see fear, and then you're going to see fear turn into something that is primal, that is, that's like adrenaline. And sometimes people spiral out of control when they get into fear. And so Jesus would have sensed this. Jesus would have noticed this, and he would have realized what was about to happen. And I believe that in this third time, sandwiched in before the triumphal entry, which we know, you know, as he rode in on the colt, is an interesting story we'll get to in a second. But before that happens, we have James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him saying, teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. Like Jesus is a genie. Rub the bottle, out he comes, and hey, we want a wish that you would grant for us. I love Jesus' response. What do you want me to do for you guys? Now, this is an interesting two guys to single out because I've read lately, I never heard this. I'm not going to say that it's 100% true, but there's a lot of guys saying this, uh, historical commentators, that these were Jesus' first cousins. These two were Jesus' first cousins, whereas John the Baptist was a second cousin. So it is interesting that these two guys felt like they could do this and, and bring their mom into it. You know, hey, mom is related to you. Remember that, because Judas, is a, he's a junk, okay? Because we know what Judas is going to They didn't know what Judas would do, but they probably sensed Judas was an outlier. Um, Judas, there's no way Judas didn't, like, tip at some point in time that he was not 100% all in. Something about the money bag and all that stuff. Um, but he says, what do you want me to do for you guys? They said, grant us that we may sit one at your right and the other at your left in your glory. But Jesus said to them, you do not know what you ask. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? I love this. They said, we are able. We're able to do it. Wherever you go, we'll do it and we can take it on. Jesus said to them, you will indeed drink the cup that I drink and be baptized uh, and with the baptism I am baptized with, you will be baptized. But to sit on my right hand and my left is not mine to give, but it is for those to whom it was prepared. Another interesting thing, we've talked about this in the past in other gospels. I think we talked about it a little bit in John uh, last year. But the idea that of 12 guys that you might have family in this group is not shocking in a small Jewish village. That's not shocking that Jesus would have, of 12 guys, been related in some way, shape, or form because this culture was so different than ours. Ours is the most fractured culture that I've ever heard of, the American culture as it is right now. 330 to 350 million people, depending on what census you believe, and we are very fractured. We have super, super fractured family relationships, but that was not how things were in this day, especially not in a farming culture. Families stuck together. And so it's not shocking that of two guys to ask this question, Jesus called them the sons of thunder, 
um, that John ultimately, the disciple Jesus loved, he told, he told us that. John told us that he was the disciple Jesus loved. But it's not shocking that James would have asked this because, because I really think it's possible they were cousins. And so it's like, well, if you're going to go, hook us up because we're family. Why wouldn't you hook up family, right? And it just goes to show, once again, there's no back door to God. There's no backstage pass. If you're in a huge rock band, you hook up your family and friends when you come home. That's just what you do. I was on tour with a band years back, and when we came to the town we were all from, we let all of our friends in at the Wheaton College show. We let them all in the back because they were friends. They were friends and family. The rest of them, hey, pay through the front door. We don't care about you guys, but no, I, I didn't say that, but I was just the bus driver, so I really didn't have any. I still let people in, though. Um, I've let a lot of things through doors, including ducks before, um, but that's another story. But he says, yeah, you guys, you are going to drink from this cup. Like, you, you are going to die ultimately because of me. That's going to happen. And John, you know, thank God you're the young one because you're, you're, they're going to try and kill you and you're not going to die until you're a very old man. But this next part is what I want to highlight. When the ten heard it, they began to be greatly displeased with James and John. Now we've got... We've got fear. We uh, then moved to power and position. What happens when you get pressed? What happens when you know something's coming to an end? You try to control stuff. You try and grab onto stuff. When people are at the end of their lives, they do sometimes very strange things. They try and just like hold on to stuff. It's like, no, release it, man. You're not, you can't take it with you. And so they're like, well, you're leaving. We're not leaving. You're leaving. You're going to die. How about you, we guarantee, can you write a little contract that says when we all get up there that we're going to be like big deals? Like we want the right and the left. We want the positions of honor um, and forget the rest of these 10. These guys are greatly displeased. Now we've got jealousy going on. Jealousy, power, position, fear. These are very common in our day. Some of the other stuff, not, we're not as familiar with. Jewish culture, Passover, temple. We don't know that stuff. We just read about it. But these four emotions we know all about. We see this in Washington every day of the week. We see the power of this country going back, ebbing and flowing, always has pretty much. We see what happens when people start to maybe lose their position. We start to see how people freak out. The jealousy. This displeased the rest of the group. And group dynamics are interesting. I don't know if you've ever been on a missions trip before. But a missions trip can go really, really, really well. I've had them go very well. And about 20 years ago, this summer, I moved to Arizona. But right before I did, I took my second trip to Dominican Republic, the place where we've gone as a church here twice, to this little town in Dominican Republic. We work with these kids in an orphanage. And I went, I didn't notice this because I wasn't really paying attention, but one of the, I had a full-time job and I was the assistant college pastor at this church. And I had, uh, I wanted to go on this missions trip to see the mission, uh, the missionaries, which had been at the church a couple of years before, and they had moved there. And we had a huge relationship. Our college ministry had a huge relationship with this couple that moved their, their four kids to Dominican Republic. And they're still there. We, we, we saw them last time we were there. And so I had this girl, Abby, put the trip together. She goes, I'll do it all. I know you have a full-time job. I'll do all the admin. Well, she finally tells me who's going. And she goes, it's you and Michael and eight of us girls. And I'm like, that's a little unbalanced. Interesting. I'm wondering what's going on here. So why is Michael going? 
Well, because the intern was his girlfriend that was there in Dominican Republic, so he didn't care at all. He just wanted to go see her. So I've got, I've got eight girls and myself and Michael. And the whole time, Michael's motive, he didn't say it, but his motive was to see his girlfriend. And right when we got there, she dumped him. And so the whole week, it's me and him in one room and the girls downstairs in the team house. And it's the same team house. And I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. And all he did is just mope and cry the whole week. I'm like, group, done. Like, just done. It was like the worst trip ever. And so you try to put it out of your mouth, your mind, and you try and just go, okay, like I'm your counselor, I guess, at night while he cries himself to sleep. Um, but that was not a good trip. But that was about 12 people, and two of them ruined it. Okay? And she wasn't part of our group, but I'm going to blame her for dumping him the day we got there. We were only there for seven days. She dumped him. I'm like, okay, you, and I'm not going to say her name, lest she watch this ever, but... When two people out of about a dozen, something dramatic happens, it affects everybody. And so now on the way to Passover, which for a good Jewish person is a huge deal, now they're all mad at each other. And so Jesus, um, uh, in verse 42, Jesus calls them to himself and says, you know that those who are considered rulers over the Gentiles lord it over them. And the great ones, their great ones, exercise authority over them. Yet it shall not be so among you. But whoever desires to become great among you shall be your servant. And whoever of you desires to be first shall be last, shall be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give him his life as a ransom for many. You guys have heard when the teacher when the student is ready, the teacher appears. You've probably heard that before. I don't believe any one of these guys heard that. This is red letter Jesus preaching, okay? Jesus says to them, the son of man, God almighty, it's not enough for you guys to have in all of human history for you 12 to be called out of the world, out of billions of people, 12 out of billions, you guys are being called into a group and you are hearing God himself say to you, I didn't come down here to be served. What king or lord or principal or, or um, magistrate or, or whatever, prime minister, president, doesn't want people to wait on them? I didn't come for that. So it shouldn't be this way with you guys. Now, you're acting just like the world, and there's a reason for that. They didn't have a Holy Spirit. All they were doing was watching Jesus and then tripping over their own flesh all the time. That's what they were doing. So Jesus says to them, hey, I didn't come to be served. Hear that on Palm Sunday. Hear that the week before Easter. God did not come to be served. How is this possible? So what, instead of giving them more sermon, he decides to do something different right before he rides in. Verse 46. Now they came to Jericho and as he went out of Jericho with his, his disciples and a great multitude. So there's tons of other people with them following. Blind Bartimaeus, son of Timaeus, sat by the road begging. We sing a song about this. Blind man stood by the road and he cried. We know this guy. And when he had heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Then many warned him to be quiet. This is hilarious. You've got people following Jesus. He just says this. 
Hey, don't be like the world. Serve people. You want to be great? Be least. You want to be uh, a big deal down the road? Then take the position that's lowest. Like I did for three years, every single minute that you saw me. And they're like, shut up, blind man. Shut your mouth. Wait, what? I don't even understand this. It, it alludes to the fact that some of the disciples chimed in. Well, because they were mad. They were mad at Jesus because he was like, they didn't call out James and John and be like, how dare you guys? I'm about to die. How dare you say that? Well, that's what I would say. If I had 12 little disciples and I'm about to go give my life for them, I'd be like, are you kidding me right now? That's, what you, that's what's on your mind? How can you not be focused? That's what I wanted to say on the trip in Dominican Republic. How could you possibly have done this? Do this on the flight home. Like text him on the, on the flight home that you want to dump him. Don't do this right when we get there. So, um, so Jesus, um, he's, they're, they're like, hey, be quiet, you know? So he says, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Then many warned him to be quiet, but he cried out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. An amazing thing for a blind man in Jericho, of all places, to ask. So Jesus stood still and commanded him to be called. Jesus has what's about to happen on his mind. There is no doubt. He told him probably years before that this was going to happen. When you have a horrible, horrible week ahead of you, are you thinking about others? Are you thinking about one more blind guy that's just looking to be healed because the meal ticket has walked through his town? Gotta be kidding me. Jesus stops. Son of David, have mercy on Jesus stood still and commanded him to be called. Then they all changed their tune. They called on the blind man saying, be of good cheer, rise, he's calling you. Like the guys that just cussed him out and said, shut up. It's hilarious, people, human beings, man. He's calling you and throwing aside his garment, he rose and came to Jesus. So Jesus answered and said to him, same thing he said to James and John. What do you want me to do for you? The blind man said, Rabboni, that I may receive my sight. He already sees Jesus spiritually, clearly. Then Jesus said to him, go your way, your faith has made you well. And immediately he received his sight and followed. He didn't leave. He didn't go back home. He followed Jesus on the road. Now, lastly, there's a rapid fire here. Now, when they drew near Jerusalem to Beth, uh, I call it Beth Page. Some people call it Beth Fiji, but there's a great golf course in uh, New York called Beth Page that was named after the city. So I call it Beth, Beth Page, but I'm sure it's Beth Fiji. And Bethany at the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples and he said to them, go into the village opposite you. And as soon as you have entered it, you will find a colt tied on which no one has sat. Loose it and bring it. If anyone says to you, why are you doing this? Say the Lord has need of it and immediately he will send it here. So they went their way and found the colt tied by the door outside the street and they loosed it. But some of those who stood there said to them, what are you doing loosing the colt? And they spoke to them just as Jesus had commanded. So they let him go. That's also kind of a miracle too. Um, that here's this colt that's never had anybody on it. Um, I don't know much about colt, but I know this is not a Percheron or a Clydesdale. There's a little lowly horse, young. And once again, God of the universe. Not, not to say that if I was him, but if I was trying to ride into Jerusalem on Holy Week, I would be on a Scottish stout horse 
a draft horse, a huge horse, a war horse that could run over these Romans and kick them in the face. No, just kidding. Um, but this little tiny lowly horse, like a little pony, like a little like humble sign once again, they let this horse go, verse 7, then they brought the colt to Jesus, threw their clothes on it, and he sat on it, and many spread their clothes on the road. We don't ever, we don't ever see this much. We don't see the, the clothing stuff, but we see the palms. Others cut down leafy branches from the trees and spread them on the road. This is where we get this idea of Palm Sunday, which it is today. Then those who went before and those who followed crying out, saying, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, blessed is the kingdom of our father David that comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. If you get a chance, read Psalm 118. From Phil Wickham to people in the 60s, this psalm has a minimum of three songs in it. This is one of the best psalms. And psalms are songs. There's, that's what they are. Some of them are super wordy. Some of them, the one before it, I think is like five verses maybe. Like one, I think it's 117. But when you read this psalm, it's unbelievable how much is in it. But understand the same people that are saying it are the same people shouting crucify him in a week because the crowd is fickle. Because emotions, fear, jealousy, and once again, this idea of power and position, the power was swinging the other way next week. This week, the power is with Christ because he's got an entourage. I, I believe that if Jesus came in by himself, they would have tried to kill him right then and there. Because, because prior to this, I have to believe this is like the day before that some of this stuff is going on. They can't do anything um, on in Passover. And they didn't have the ability to, um, they didn't have cap, they had capital punishment taken from them. So that's why they had to engage the Romans to get the death um, penalty with, um, with, the, the, with Pilate, the governor. So these people who are like, oh yeah, well, which way is the crowd going? Oh, today we're in on Jesus, Hosanna. Next week, kill him. Well, what happened in a week? Well, you know that it's just lip service. You know that it's just, it's just whatever, the, whatever wind is, is flying that week. That's what the public, when we say the American public, or when you poll people, you poll them this week, something crazy happened. You poll them next week, and they, they've gone to the other side. Ah, we don't want that project. Uh, well, you know, what, what about an interstate that goes around Phoenix and Tobago? Yeah, we want that. Oh, well, most of your land is going to be taken. Well, we don't want that. Okay, well, the information comes out and the crowd swings the other direction. And then if you're the only one opposing, you feel alone. And so there's safety in numbers of so people. They just get behind whoever's in, in power. In this case, the Jewish leadership, which Jesus told them, was going to kill him. It was not going to be avoidable. That's what Jesus prayed in the garden. Hey, if it's possible, Lord, please. Jesus, in verse 11, went into Jerusalem, into the temple, and when he had looked around at all things, as the hour was already late, he went out to Bethany with the 12. He never stayed in Jerusalem that, that week. He always went out to this village that I think it's just, I think it's just east of where the temple is. I could be wrong on that. But they, they pointed it out. It's been a little while since I've been there. But he always, he always left the hoopla. It's very interesting. There's always people who want to be around the action they want to be around the city center. They want to be with, around like Lot. Lot wanted to be in Vegas. Abraham's like, oh, Vegas is not good. Too long of a leash in Vegas. And so he was out, out in the boonies with God, where you have to rely on God. A couple of things as we 
kind of close this. Before we get into these last few things, think about the emotion of God. Jesus had emotions. Jesus and John flipped the tables almost immediately, John's account tells us. This is not what this temple is supposed to be about. It's not a currency exchange, which is what they had turned it into. They're selling doves and, and currency exchanging people with horrible exchange rates that cannot afford the good like my goat. Like they can't afford that type of a sacrifice. So they got to buy a turtle love, which is like two pennies type of a thing. Uh, well, if you're going to pay with the shekel and you need the Roman coin, that's going to cost you twice as much. And Jesus is like, all of this is to keep people away from God. That's why he was mad. So yeah, he flipped the tables. That is not an emotionless Jesus. There's nothing wrong with emotion. It's what we do when we get really, really mad. What do we do after that? First thing, people often struggle most in this life when they're put under pressure. The disciples knew this trip was going to be like any other, unlike any other. And that's one of the reasons I believe in verse verse 32, they're amazed and terrified. It's like, you can be excited and nervous too. Same deal. So that's the first thing. People often struggle the most when they're under pressure. And remember that. We have patterns and, and we act a certain way a lot of times under pressure. It's good to notice those things. Oh, when this happens, I do this. Secondly, Jesus showed them what was most important while he was under pressure. So while they're flipping out about who's going to be right and left side of his throne, Jesus is, is preparing his heart to give himself up to the worst punishment you could possibly ever have. And at the same time, showing them what is most important, which is service. Guys, we have done a million miracles, okay? But even I, verse 45, didn't come to be served. I'm God Almighty. I am literally for 30-something years pausing on my, my power and allowing the Holy Spirit to guide and direct me in doing the will of the Father, and I'm not doing what I want to do because a lot of times hanging out with you guys isn't the funnest thing. That's parentheses, Dan's version. He didn't actually say that. I'm not saying that they were awesome, but he didn't actually say that. But Jesus shows them what's most important while under pressure. While they were under pressure and while he was under pressure. They flipped out and fought. And Jesus went to the guy who was least in the entire community of Jericho, which was a least town, and gave the guy the number one thing that he wanted, which was to be able to see Jesus in person. I'd love to know if that guy was standing right there when the disciples fled and Jesus was being crucified. I have a sneaking suspicion he might have been much closer than the apostle Peter. Just a sneaking suspicion. We'll find out one day. Thirdly, live for the Lord because one day people will praise you and the next week they will help get rid of you. That is a promise in this life. If you hold any type of position, you may not hold it as long as you think you're going to hold it. Jesus had perfect focus because he allowed himself to hear from the Spirit of God and to move in the Spirit of God, which is what we need to do, which is that abiding life. Lastly, Jesus had the ability to see God's plan because of the Holy Spirit. Everyone else could only see the temporal. The disciples don't need to be mocked because they made mistakes. They need to only be mocked because of the lack of humility sometimes. And I don't mean mocked like let's make fun of them. I mean we point out the things that Peter said where you're like, wow, 
How could you have said that 15 seconds after you said, you're the Christ? Well, my father revealed that to you. My father gave you the idea that you're talking to the Messiah, but it doesn't hurt that Jesus trans <laughs> that he was transfigured in front of Peter, because that's a pretty great miracle. I'd love to see that. And that Jesus showed him other historical figures that they had known about because they were good Jewish boys. But, but because of the Holy Spirit now, you and I have the ability to see the spiritual. We have the ability to tap into what God's doing. We have the ability to say, yeah, God, I'm rattled right now. I'm super rattled and I'm super freaked out and I'm super stressed, but I'm going to stop and realize that you have my end written and I am yours. And so therefore I'm not going to worry. And it's not that worry is not going to knock at my door, but it's not going to own me. I'm not going to operate in just fear. I'm not going to walk around terrified all day long. I, I see a lot of online people who say they're Christians and they just, all they do is walk around terrified. That's the only, this is fear is the only thing that you see. And I'm like, mm, well, okay. However, God offers us his same Holy Spirit that raised Christ from the grave. Today, God offers all who would come to him in faith this same Holy Spirit. Those that are born tomorrow, those that will be born 20 years from now, the same Holy Spirit is offered through the same mechanism that made Abraham famous. Believing God. That's it. Believing God enough what? To do something. Believing God to do believing God enough to do something that everyone else would go, I wouldn't do that if I were you. That's really crazy. Sometimes God calls you to the crazy. It's not actually crazy, it's temporal crazy. It's world crazy. The world is crazy. So what they think is crazy, God's like, uh, I don't know who you're listening to. And you get yourself into a huge, huge mud pit or a huge sand pit or a quicksand. And it's like, that, God's like, That's, I didn't drive you into quicksand. I was this still small voice and you bailed. Every one of these guys did the same exact thing. They all bailed out. This was supposed to be Jesus. Like, how great would it be if they were just like, Jesus, what do you want us to do? You want us to pray all night? You want us to fast all night? You want us to beat up people that are trying to beat you up? No, we won't do that because we know you said you have to go. But if, if this was all written differently and the disciples were like near perfect, I think it'd be more, more discouraging. I think it's more identifiable than because they were so human. And you also see the contrast of what human guided 100% by Holy Spirit looks like. It looks very different than them. It looks 100% different than them. But to know that we have access to it and that we can be better. We're never going to be perfect, but we can be better this side of heaven than we were before, and that's what we should be. We are not called to operate under fear. We are. There used to be a company called No Fear. I used to wear the stupid hats. No Fear, yeah. skateboarder, little rat tail in the 80s, wearing a No Fear in, in vans and stuff. Thought we were cool just because of that. It's the greatest truth that there is, though. No fear. If you're in Christ, you do not have to give in to it. Sure. Now, you may, and God's like, hey, I understand. That's why I didn't rip these guys. I understand you're human beings. And they made mistakes after. In, in Acts chapter 3 and, and forward, they made mistakes. Paul and Peter probably didn't get along very well. That's okay. Not everybody's going to be best friends. Not everybody's going to be in the same family. Not everybody's going to invite you over for Thanksgiving. That's okay. But to know, hey, you do what God's calling you to do. Just do it over there. And I'll do it over here. You take off. You go to Greece, Paul. You're too big of a deal. We don't want to hear about you. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I'm putting words in the mouth. All right, let's pray. I'm way over. Uh, Father God, thank you for um, 
the humor in this, the uh, human element, God, to be able to see that these guys were a lot like us in so many ways. God, that they, they sometimes let fear get the best of them. And they sometimes spoke out of turn. And they sometimes had their feet in their mouth, both of them. Um, God, we do ask you to help us um, as we see this, um, these last days kind of um, really, really here. They're here to stay. And uh, there's a lot of crazy in this world. There's a lot of fear that people have. God, give us the, the quiet spirit that uh, others are looking for. Uh, God, give us your light as we go out and, and shine bright for you in Jesus' name. Amen.